Welcome this morning to the Work Life Office podcast put out by Michigan State University. We're right here at 116 Linton Hall. It's a Friday morning. I'm sitting here with Mike Gardner and Michael Hudson. Our guest, Michael Hudson, is the director of the MSU Resource Center for Persons with Disabilities and also was a recipient of the 2010 Outstanding Supervisor Award. Welcome, Michael Hudson. Thank you. Great to be here, John. Did you know, did you ever expect that you'd be on a podcast to talk about your outstanding supervision? I did not imagine that, and I'm very grateful it's not a video. (laughs) Yeah, I talked to Mike G here, the co-host, Mike Gardner, about what he should wear, and uh, I told him it wasn't a video, so feel free to wear your pajamas, and he did one better. He wore his uh, bathing suit today. So, uh, Mike Gardner, welcome. Mike Gardner. Hi, John, and hi, Mike. Good to see you again. I'm very glad to be here on this uh, opening uh, podcast here for this day. Yeah, Mike Gardner was the 2014 winner of the same award, Outstanding Supervisor Award winner 2014, is Mike Gardner uh, through Culinary Services, now retired. So we're going to have the Mike and Mike show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Hudson, I know uh, from your bio that you supervise maybe 20 staff members. Is that roughly accurate? That is accurate. Uh, the team has grown for sure over the last uh, 20 years, and uh, yeah, we've got a really functional organization. Cool. And you also maybe supervise volunteers. Is that also? We uh, have a lot of volunteers. Our, our Part of our program produces accessible textbooks. And uh, for that program, we partner with uh, the university's oldest uh, continually operating campus-based student organization called Tower Guard. So that brings in about 80 volunteers. And we sometimes will have community volunteers who just want to help out. And one of the quickest ways we can put people's interest in the topic to work is helping us prepare accessible textbooks. And that means Braille, large print, audio. Uh, Very cool. Is there anything different uh, managing a student versus supervising a full-time staff member or a volunteer? Or do you kind of look at them all the same and supervise? You know, my direct work with the students is not as substantial as it once was. So I think that feels a little bit more distant for me. I think my job is to really set a uh, a vision of where the unit is going, why we do what we do, and uh, how important their work is. So the day-to-day routines are are managed uh, by another staff person in the office for our volunteers. But I think the uh, visibility a supervisor and a and a unit mission uh, represents is very important to those students. They students really want to feel like they're part of something that's making a difference. Right, and that's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is we're trying to make a difference by sharing knowledge and information from outstanding supervisors to other supervisors and employees across the campus. We want to make an impact by showing folks what it looks like to perform outstanding supervision and also, like in my in my role, to receive outstanding supervision and how that really makes a more positive environment at Michigan State. So if we can kind of replicate what you've been doing uh, in your team, with your team, uh, across campus, I think that we're going to get a lot better outcomes. So today we're going to talk about best practices for outstanding supervision. Before we start talking about the nitty-gritty and those takeaways from this podcast, I'm going to set the table with a little bit about you, and then we'll get into talking about how you accommodate diverse family situations through perhaps flex time arrangements and how you uh, make sure employees feel appreciated and included. But before we get to that 
fun stuff, the practical stuff. Tell me a little bit about how long you've been at Michigan State and what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen over your time here? Yeah, I've been here for, I'm closing in on the uh, completion of 28 years. And uh, in that time, uh, we have seen some changes around campus. And I think the one that's most noteworthy to me is the size of the campus is just different. Uh, the busyness here is, is much more substantial. Uh, when I began, we had about 42,000 students. Now we're at uh, just over 50,000. And if you look at that as a percentage, it's pretty substantial. And um, I think the uh, evolution of technology has been pretty pronounced as well. Uh, when I was uh, be- when I became uh, a new employee here at MSU, email was a novel concept. It didn't come automatically. You actually had to go out and seek out an email account, and uh, and so that electronic communication was much more in the background and not something everybody participate in. Smartphones didn't exist. Web browsers weren't there. And so we had very much an in-person, a handwritten correspondence and a telephone uh, kind of communication pattern. So those have shifted the dynamics of communication and um, what people expect of others uh, relative to timely responses. Uh, 25 years ago, a timely response was a, a, f- a few days to a couple weeks, you know, in, in some cases. Today, uh, you're expected to really deliver, you know, within a very short period of time. I really appreciate you bringing that up because it's something that's not on my long list of questions, but it's very important to the supervisor and employee relationship. It's something that we've been working on here, even amongst me and my direct supervisor, is how we communicate better, and that makes the team function better. Are there any practical tips you can give to the listening audience about ways to communicate best by email or by phone or by text? Uh, And not to make a judgment on what's better or worse, but how do you do it in your team? What, What things have you implemented in terms of communication practices that work? And maybe some, what are some that don't work? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that comes to mind, first of all, is uh, email is a very good tool for um, maybe uh, cutting or reducing the length of meetings. Uh, Sometimes meetings can drag on a little too long, feel like a a hard process to get people all sat down for an hour or a half an hour. And sometimes key ingredient items can be distributed via email. I think sometimes the risk in email and electronic communications is um, if you don't already have a lot of face contact with people and a, a shared um, experience it can sometimes feel a little distant, or even if there, it, it offers a lot of room for misinterpretation. Uh, people think you were too direct, and so I think in my communication package, I'm always really anxious to set up a, a hello so and so. I don't just address John; I say hello, John, or dear John, and try to warm it up a bit. And so I think conveying the humanity, the interpersonal elements in an email is something I really think about when I write messages. How would I? see this and and you can you can misread emails very quickly and sometimes those boil up into misinterpretations and hidden hostilities yeah there's a lot of assumptions that have to be drawn from email correspondence because you lose the context and sarcasm obviously mm-hmm. doesn't translate and so there are some uh, forms of communication some messages that are appropriate as you mentioned by email and it can mm-hmm. reduce meeting times and then there are some times where you really need to sit down face to face For example, this podcast, we get a lot more out of these podcasts when we sit down and we talk face-to-face, as opposed to if I asked some of these questions, we never would have even got to this question had I emailed you the list of questions, but through conversation, some other things come up, and so sometimes email is good and sometimes it's not. 
And I'd like to tell the listeners here at Michigan State, too, that if you're interested in improving your email style and correspondence, we do have a course here that uh, is offered through the Work-Life Office about how to improve your professionalism. Jamie Hutchison leads that, and she talks to staff and employees uh, directly about and specifically about how to improve email correspondence, how to write an email and and things like that. Um, So... Uh, I'm going to sort of set the table for talking uh, Mike to Mike here, uh, Mike Gardner and Mike Hudson, with this question, and then I'm going to pass the mic over to Mike. Uh, The question is uh, something I've been asking uh, other supervisors, and it's it's essentially where do you get your information and knowledge from that makes you a great supervisor? Do you have mentors? Do you have someone that you can go to and talk to directly about problems, issues, and best practices. And I set that table as I pass the mic to Mike, uh, because Mike Gardner is also an Outstanding Supervisor Award winner. Mike Hudson's an Outstanding Supervisor Award winner. And one thing we might be trying to build here at Michigan State is a network of Outstanding Supervisors who can share practices and um, best ways to uh, supervise a team. So Mike Hudson, uh, who do you go to and where do you get uh, your best knowledge for how to uh, function as an outstanding supervisor? Yeah, I think um, uh, my, my, uh, my background of this is probably emulating people that I think are doing a great job in the community. And so I do have some beacons of, of, of exceptional performance and things that uh, people did really well trying to grab the best ideas and how they work and and, and move through a community is is been a landmark uh, decision I think I've made. I do a lot of reading as well. Um, volunteering in community organizations and so forth uh, causes you to take a look at what are publications saying about how you can do your volunteerism or your own professional work a little better. So I've got a, a stream of uh, content that comes to me on my smartphone and uh, it's publications all over centered on, on, on management and uh, and best practice in higher education, or I volunteer with a financial organization as well. So how do organizations motivate exceptional outcomes? Uh, and so I do reading, and I, and I, and I beacon on, on exceptional leaders around the community. Oh, very good, Mike. Um, I know one of the things that, uh, that happens as a, as a supervisor um, is you uh, sometimes need a, a person or some place to go to kind of rejuvenate yourself to keep you motivated and keep you going, or that one person to be a person who you can talk to when you have that particular problem on, mm-hmm. on how to get over that hump that you have to happen to be facing in the course of your mm-hmm. work. Yeah. Do you have someone like that, or is there a role model that kind of comes back to mind and, and it's kind of like, what would Mike say, you know, yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah, I definitely do, and some of them aren't even present all the time. Uh, yeah, I, I grew up, uh, I, just for full disclosure, I grew up as a person who uh, was facing impending blindness. So in my dynamic, uh, I, I really had some challenges in my life trying to figure out how could I be effective and do things that were meaningful uh, if you did not have eyesight in the future. And, and that really became my reality. I didn't have eyesight. So some of my leaders in, in my mind, they go back to the youngest years. I remember my grandfather and how he would, he taught me early lessons about really uh, spotting your own abilities and trying to develop those. There's plenty of people who tell you what you can't do, uh, but how do you find people who 
just believe in you and can challenge you to think a little differently. My grandfather was a brilliant person for repairing things. And when a toy would break, we always knew grandfather could fix this. To take it to him, instead of doing it for us, he uh, would say, let's let's head out to the shop and we'll take this apart together. And I said, well, I can't really tell red wire from a green wire and all that. And he said, no, don't worry about it. We'll figure out another way. We're going to have to be problem solvers here. So I think that was one of my earliest role models for thinking differently. It's really everybody has challenges and trying to find how you're going to overcome them is the puzzle of life. And uh, so that was one of my earliest beacons. And then more contemporarily, I found people who seemed to have skills that I didn't have. I'm kind of an introverted person, to be honest, and people don't guess that today. But I found people in the community who I saw that person really lights up a room when they're there. How do they do that? How and some of them were introverts as well, they t- would tell me. And I, so I built some mentors through the years. Uh, and I could name names, but uh, I don't know if that's what you'd want on your podcast or not. But there are some great people around campus who just light up a room and light up and, and, and really do their work very well. And those are leaders for me. I, I really gravitate towards exceptional performance, and especially when exceptional performance can take along other people with, with them. So the person that... Um, that uh, shares the uh, the successes with a team are, are some of my best role models. Yeah, Mike, I had the pleasure of, of being on a campus committee with you, and you were the uh, leader of that group um, uh, for, that. for several years. And uh, I recall very fondly uh, being, uh, being on that committee. And I recall at the end of every year, you always brought a little gift for everybody, a little bag of chocolates oh, for all sweet. of us. Oh, that's sweet. you remember that. Oh, yes. well, sweet is the word. Yeah, uh, and, <laughs> and, you know, you, you remember back to those things, and, and not that I remember every discussion that we had, but that was something that I recall back that Mike ended the year on a very positive note, you know. So all the committee members and all the people, yeah. part of your team, had that positive feeling and were ready to come back for the next year, Okay. And, you know, after you left, no one brought us candy anymore. So I'm I just want you to you remember know that. that. Yeah, I, I, I had forgotten about that, but I that was a uh, that was the All-University Traffic and Transportation Committee, uh, yep. a group that's hard to make people happy around transportation <laughs> and parking. But uh, we uh, we had some important conversations, and I really valued the input of everybody, and I, I do remember that now. Thanks for remembering. No, it was, it, it was good. Um, going back to kind of the work end a little bit, Mike, um, you work in a very diverse environment with a lot of diverse uh, employees and your clientele (laughs) for your job. Um, And that is a challenge in itself, okay, Mm -hmm. Um, in dealing with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of roadblocks that you run into uh, in dealing with this uh, in, in everyday situations of people coming to campus with different varieties of disabilities, et cetera, and working with all of those different challenges that come along with that. Um, How do you keep your staff going and motivated when those roadblocks appear down the road for them and they just don't know where to go? Yeah. Well, you're right. Uh, the uh, The excitement of our work is disabilities rarely know any, you know, boundaries, frankly. And so we, we meet people in all sorts of perspectives and, and, and parts of campus and occupations and aspirations or even sometimes with uh, diminished expectations of what are possible. So there is a plenty of diversity in that work. And I think uh, one of the things we really try to hold up high in our program 
is a whole notion of um, these are disabilities that if you perceive them the wrong way, they'll shut you down, you know. And I don't want to see people shut down. Disabilities are real-life challenges, and I think finding the talents that you have and the skills you still have despite these disability blockades, and they feel like blockades at the beginning, but with a little bit of creativity, with some good partnerships and a network of others who are succeeding with these, these can become over, these can be overcome. And so I think we hold our mission pretty high in that we are maximizing ability and opportunity. We don't have an answer to everything, but if we work together, we can probably figure most everything out over time. So I think having that direction where we're heading, we know it's not easy work, and we know it's not just a simple A, B answer all the time. And, and so we, we thrive on partnerships and, and these collaborations. Um, Mike, um one of the big things they're, they're talking about now on campus and been hearing a lot more is onboarding. Um, when you have a new employee come on, uh, on your staff, um, what do you do to get them on board with your program? Yeah. Um, I think onboarding, uh, we, we are not well practiced at onboarding, although in the past couple of years with population growth, we have added a couple new positions. So we have had a little experience of recent. And I think one of the, the probably the hardships we faced early on is we didn't have a an operator's manual or an owner's manual for starting at an office. So um, we did find some materials assembled through HR that would help people work through those very beginning mechanics of how do you sign up for benefits, how do you know what general university expectations are, and then we've kind of supplemented with some reading materials. But really, I think the onboarding you're talking about is how do you make people feel at home in a program? How do you get them on board with your mission and where we're going? And I will say, um, I think some of our onboarding actually starts early on with the uh, even the posting of our positions. We try to set the tone of why we're doing what we're doing and our status in the community as, as a change agent. So if you read a description that our office posts and you start to apply for our office, you'll know a lot about our program right away. And then... We don't have an easy interview process. Uh, our our interviews take a half a day typically, and they give the uh, they give a pretty immersive exposure to the person who's applying for a job. Although, frankly, we have them do a little presentation about something that they see in the field is important and how they can make a difference. We spend time with different constituency groups just to get a, a 360. And it's not just to understand where their talents are. It's to make sure they know a little bit about how we think, too. So I think onboarding can happen at early, even earlier points than before the actual hire. When they arrive on campus, um, getting them linked up with a mentor, somebody who's been in the program for a while, somebody has a lot of, uh, of the answers, probably more than one of those folks because in a, in a in a mid-sized department, you'll find diversity in approach, too. And sometimes one person's approach wouldn't be the new person's approach. So exposing them to a few people, trying to build some natural social linkages there for them. As the director, I try to give a lot of open staff time for them. I might reserve some time with them on a weekly or bi-weekly basis to maybe go to lunch and spend some time together because there's so much that can get, can be conveyed outside of a business meeting, you know. How do we work together? Who are people in the community that you need to know? And how do we get you fully uh, stitched into all that's happening here on campus? That's a really big, uh, a big piece of the pie in getting your team built together. 
um, because uh, the campus is not a small campus. No. And uh, networking and knowing who to call and where to go for certain um, answers is very is very key, and it takes sometimes years before you get yeah. to that point. Uh, yeah, that's well. a good. Uh, I always tell staff, you're not going to feel really comfortable, or I, I, at least I hope you don't feel real comfortable here until you've been here for at least a couple of years. In two years, you'll probably feel like you have the answers to a lot of things, and you'll know enough people to get some work done really efficiently and and timely, and you'll have a community. That's 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 right. I found that to be true as well. When you, you know, I've always said, you know, the leader sometimes is only as good as the team that they've got, you know, and, and how well they developed them and how well they work with them and they work with him or her. Um, what and how do you work with that one team player who just is kind of not keeping up with the steps uh, yeah. of the rest of the team? Okay. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the other team members will bring that up to you or you notice it yourself. Yeah. How do you kind of get that person back in step with everybody yeah. uh, to make them feel that they are important, they are part of that team, and yeah. um, they they need to do a certain new actions or change something along the line what they're doing. Yeah. So. yeah, so you might call that a performance challenge at some points. You, know, you could. People, <laughs> people who don't seem to be thriving, people who are... Um, resistant to, uh, you know, partnerships or other things. I think the key is to really, um, well, I don't have all the answers here. And, you know, they put the word outstanding supervisor. <laughs> I'm just human too. But I, some of my personal observations on this is uh, we've, we've got a pretty rigorous hiring process and interview process. So I know when I've hired somebody that we, we've seen talent here. And so my first perception is I've got high-quality people but people have all sorts of challenges, sometimes interpersonal, sometimes life challenges, sometimes just not this area isn't their, isn't their strength. So realizing as your staff size grows, you've got a diverse workforce, and some people are going to be super good at some things and really bad at other things. But uh, so long as they fit the mission and they're willing to work with you, I always see the possibility. And um, so I'll work really hard. Um, through an annual, we, we take our annual performance review process pretty seriously. We sit down for an hour generally with each staff member, I do personally, and I talk about what are our metrics of expectations through the years. Some of those are truly numeric, and those always feel a little cold to people. How many contact hours did you have? How many students did you impact this year? And I think people get a little nervous about some of that sometimes, but um, it's the, it's the core metrics that drive the um, the reportables for our unit. But then we very quickly move into how is it working for you? Where are your goals? What kind of things when you, and I, I'm a little old-fashioned this way, I like to think I'm hiring people for 20 or 30 years. I'm, you know, I know a lot of people see occupations these days as two- to five-year deals, but to me, I'm really hiring for the long haul. And so as part of that, I want to make sure that I, I have a set of goals that develop for each person and the things that we can work towards growing in. Admittedly, what did you see about yourself? What did I see that I think we could work on together to make you a, a stronger employee? And it's a partnership, and we set a goal. How can we get there? What will we do? How will we know we're reaching it? And most importantly, I always try to find the ways to make our work feel less transactional and more interpersonal more 
big picture. So we'll usually have some goals. Where am I going? What is going to be my signature contribution? I'll oftentimes term it this way. When you retire in 25 or 30 years, what will the people that come after you think of? I'm so glad Mike was here during that time window. And so where can you make your best contribution? So we think big, we think long-term, and we also have small incremental objectives. Okay, Mike. Um, how are you, and I've had this happen too, where you've got a team and there's usually one or two people that seem to have all the problems of the world with them, and um, you're trying to work with them in their personal life and the things that are going on with them. Um, and sometimes the rest of the team may look at it like you're playing favorites with this person because this person gets, uh, they need this time off or they need to do some uh, work from home or they need to do whatever. How do you keep that in a balance with the rest of the team so yeah. that you don't have the other ones being disgruntled or feeling that they're a little more or a little less? Yeah, that is a, that is a <laughs> challenge. Yeah, that, that idea of favorites, uh, you know, you, let's face it, we're all human and we have people that we really respect what they're doing. And if they're excelling in an area that you need as a supervisor, they can very quickly look like favorites. And Or if uh, certain people are having struggles and they need some time away, if you have a strategy that you can carve that out, um, maybe others would think they're getting something special because they're not at their desk in the same manner that somebody else is. But um, I'm not sure if I have an answer exactly to your to your question, but what I would say is hopefully in a good environment, each person feels connected enough that they know they're getting what they need when they need it. And that if they're seeing something anomalous, they know there's a fair environment overall and that uh, there must be something there that that is a current need or a current priority. So, yeah, I, and, you know, it, there will be different perspectives on these things, and uh, I think flexibility, uh, openness, clear communication, and just that integrity, hopefully, that people can see in management that if that person's doing something a little different, I'm sure there's a backstory, and uh, I'm going to trust them to be doing the right thing. I agree. I I had a tendency to remind the staff that if it, it, the person maybe felt that the other one was getting a little different treatment, that if they had the similar thing, I would let them do the same thing. So yeah. this is, you know, kind of evening the playing field, yeah. so to speak, uh, yeah. so that uh, they realized that this was just not uh, pulling a favorites uh, on one individual or right. another. Uh, and that's uh, always sometimes difficult to kind of keep that yeah. team together so that they're not yeah. feeling somebody's busting it yeah. up. And if you look at it over the long haul, everybody has natural highs and lows in their career and their work week and their work day. And, you know, uh, we celebrate the high, uh, high moments and we, uh, you know, hopefully support people during those difficult times. If the difficult times become perennial and long term, there may be some external intervention needed. Uh, I know regularly uh, EAP is a very valuable mm -hmm. service when people are, are having a tough time that it's beyond my capacity to help them move through and if, or if it's starting to uh, affect performance, reputation or service to our students. Yes, there's a lot of resources on campus to help uh, a lot of our, our group, and they're not always known uh, to everybody. Um, right. what, and kind of going along that line, what types of, of things have you uh, pulled together for your team for either team building um, and or recognition? Okay, yeah. I am, um, 
and I've changed these over time, but I think getting people together, even though, remember, I'm an introvert. This isn't my natural thing. But Hard to get, believe. Getting, I've seen you in action. Getting, <laughs> getting people together for a social activity, I usually try to do something during the summer, and I used to organize these myself, and now what I'm finding is some value in having uh, staff, and especially some of the younger or newer staff, organize some of our activities for us uh, around a social thing. And um and the creativity that comes out and new folks, they see things differently. And so, um, you know, if it's uh, maybe an afternoon at the park in the summer to celebrate a year well done or, um, you know, just something like that, there's got to be a social component. And my my read, it's, it's really nice to do that as we end an academic year because most of us have a story about it was a rigorous year. We had some accomplishments. We had some struggles. Um, so it feels like a little bit of just... We're gathering together and we're celebrating and we're, we're, we're thinking about, you know, where we were and how it impacted us. I usually try to do something around mid-year on the Christmas holiday and a little informal gathering. But I think organizationally, one of the powerful things we do is before the fall semester begins, we have a pre-fall retreat. And um, I try to bring... Well, I do bring all of our staff together and we kind of do some important work about how do we increase our, our team identity? How do we f- take an issue that's contemporary and become a little more efficient or forward-thinking in our work? Um, so I usually have an organizational component uh, there, or I have a technical component, like how do we do email a little better? How do we do social media a little better? And I try to bring in a visionary thinker, uh, somebody who's moving, shaking, and seeing the future for MSU. Uh, because one of the things I try to do in our organization is keep us connected to the land-grant mission and um, in trying to really get the team centered around where is MSU, what is its meaning in the bigger community, and how do we see that uh, playing out. And if sometimes you'll find visionary leaders around campus that can really come in and share their story. And then your staff knows this visionary leader. They can see the motion in progress and, and just have another um, icon of where we might be heading as an institution. So, hey, Mike, um, there's a glass, of, a small glass of water, even with your left hand. Thank you. Yeah, I know these things can drive through it. They, mm-hmm. they can do that. They can do that. I got a little base note there. You know? <laughs> yeah, he's getting down. Um, uh, Mike, um, I think you know you've touched on a couple of really good points, and, and uh, I think I've found through the, through the years uh, myself. Um, a lot of times as a, as a supervisor or manager, we've gone to programs for training and whatnot, and it's bringing those kinds of uh, resources back to the level of your team, you know, and, and what do you do with that and how do you do it. And I think bringing those other resources in, uh, either on campus or off campus, um, is a great motivational uh, program as well as a learning program for, um, for, the, for the team members because many times... Um, uh, they see you going off or you go to, to a meeting and, well, what's he doing now? And now you find out, well, there is some resources and there are some things that we can pick up from this, too, and it's the sharing. We have a tendency, I think, to go to the go to these meetings and go to these programs and then internalize them to ourselves and not necessarily mm-hmm. always share them with the rest of the team. And yeah. it's important uh, because they've invested, they being universities, invested in us yes. you know, to give us that training. And now we, in turn, need to bring that down to the rest of our our staff so that they feel that they're empowered and can do a better job. 
Yeah. You know, and we've we've been through uh, different cycles here on campus from budget reduction years when the first thing that goes typically, at least in our program, has been, uh, you know, some professional development. So trying to reconnect with some of those services as we uh, as we uh, do our work. And and uh, I know the work life office is uh, well connected with a lot of things that help uh, employees, employers uh, do better. Human Resources offers many things, and many of these will be no cost or low cost. Well, may, uh, many of them, frankly, just requires a little bit of time. But they can invigorate staff and bring people back to the program with new ideas and new networks. And as I've said earlier, networks really seem important here and to make this big campus feel uh, small and efficient and available to people. So I, I do love those uh, professional development opportunities. I think uh, many of those are out there, and uh, the employees uh, oftentimes don't look at those or see those, and I always took it upon myself to review what was going on, and maybe if there was an employee that had an area that could benefit from one of these programs was to encourage them to take that and give them the time off to make sure that they would go to this, and then do some follow-up and say, well, what did you think? Uh, Did you get anything out of it? And get some feedback from them so that you knew you were on the right right path to help develop that individual. And I think as a supervisor, that's another one of our key points is trying to develop them. And that's not always an easy situation to work with with the diversity of our employees that and staff that we have yeah. working and, for us. And it's and sometimes it's hard to really carve the time out. You've got a busy schedule, you've got X, Y, and Z that needs to be done, and it feels like it needs to be done right now. So, you know, the strategy for how will we plan for this, how will we keep our staff invigorated seems quite important. I agree. You know, I was in food service and the meal had to be out and you had to do this and it had to be done by this time. And what do you do if this person's not here to do that job? Somebody's got to step up and fill it, and Mm -hmm. then that person feels, well, I'm doing two jobs now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there is that time element, which was always a difficult one to fight around. But you sometimes just have to to, to, bite the bullet and say, okay, um, we need to get this done, and today's this is John's day, and tomorrow will be your day, or next week will be your day. So it's it's balancing that whole scorecard so that... Yes. Everybody gets a little piece of the action, and everybody gets to be a star yes. at some point in time yep. during the game, which is the season of the year, mm-hmm. um, that they are acknowledged and, and, and yep. uh, given some, some time. It's because they all need that break. It can yep. be very stressful in, your, in the job, yep. and they need that break to get away and to get refreshed. Yep. And I think a fortunate thing about a higher education setting is we do have natural ebbs and flows of of work life. So we do get semester breaks, and some people use those as their vacation. But when they don't, you know, opportunities for development really can flourish at those moments. And, you know, so I think, you know, being strategic in our work and seeing the bigger roadmap of how important uh, keeping staff engaged and energized and inspired by new ideas can be. And there's time in everybody's schedule to figure these things out. And uh, if you do look at a career as a roadmap and if there's a destination uh, through development and after development, sometimes the next stop on someone's career journey is elsewhere, uh, other place than uh, Michigan State. Maybe they get another job. Maybe there's just not enough advancement opportunities here at Michigan State for them, so they find another job at another institution or here in Lansing. We have state government. Mm -hmm. So you've talked about how important it is to build a relationship from day one, even in the job posting that predates day one of hire, 
and forming a relationship, linking the individual with a mentor, providing resources and opportunities for career development. So can you talk a little bit uh, about day you know, 10,000 or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 15,000 yep. at the end of the road, at the end of the uh, journey of the individual with Michigan State, what are some of the things that you do uh, with and for someone who is departing after they've developed uh, quite a career and are, we're sending them off, you know, almost yep. like a, a kid into his first job, but really this is their next yep. job. So how do yep. you handle that? Well, for me, one of the happiest moments is when I see somebody have a, a very successful long-term career and we get to celebrate retirement. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? We'll always have a moment of reflection around that. And some people don't really like to be in the limelight, but I hopefully can encourage them that this is important for them and for others around them to really celebrate what did you accomplish during your time? How did people appreciate the work and how is MSU a better place thanks to you having been here for a while? So I think retirement is my most joyous thing. Um, and I've I'll had, second that. <laughs> and, I, and I've had a chance to help a few people along to that process. And, and, and it's a change of life and, and it needs to be done properly, I think. Um, as people develop, sometimes they are aspirational that they want to do a bigger job, they want to earn more money, and, and we have a fairly flat organization in our, in our shop, so it's like I don't have a lot of room for internal advancement. Sometimes it is just helping people pick up a new project or a, a leadership or develop a new signature identity. We've been really successful at raising funds. Um, private gifts and sometimes we can get people linked to the uh, programs that are outcomes of, of those successes but if and I have had people leave the program and uh, I'm thinking of a staff who left a few years ago and she became the director of another program at another university and that felt really good I didn't want to see her leave she was always a visionary energetic type person who could bring a lot of um, energy to a room but um, her heart was really in a different geographical part of the state, and she was already commuting, and I knew it was a hard commute. To commute 45 minutes to work every day is, is not easy, but helping her along to that, seeing her advance and, and, and gather a title at a place that felt really meaningful to her was rewarding. Yeah, I'm going to take a moment to really hone in on that commute aspect. I myself uh, live in Flint, and so I commute 45 minutes every day to work and back and a little bit longer now with construction uh, you mentioned some challenges that come up in the day-to-day work and cre- looking for creative solutions one of the things we promote here through the work-life office is flex time flexible schedules i myself have not worked out a flex a time agreement with my supervisor yet i might in the future especially when the weather gets bad and i'm a little bit worried that my commute will be a little bit slipperier than it is now mm-hmm. and those work uh those flexible work agreements have a lot to them you know there's got to be some rationale and uh low to no impact on the job sometimes even working from home is a little bit better mm-hmm. for productivity um, but then there are, uh, there's a wide gamut of reasons for um, a request to flex schedule from picking up your kids at school uh, to caring for an elder family member uh, to things like my situation, which is a long commute. So have you uh, implemented any flexible schedule arrangements uh, with your team? You don't have to talk specifically, but sure. what's your overall philosophy and approach to flexible scheduling? Yeah. Well, my philosophy is uh, we are here for the students, and we need to serve student needs admirably. 
And uh, fortunately, students, too, tend to be a little bit flexible at many times, and they, they increasingly like electronic transactions. And, um, and uh, I find that uh, there is some room for flexibility. Uh, I still think of us as an 8-to-5 operation for the, the reliability and steadfast uh, mission we have. But um, I'm, I'm willing to work with people, and with electronic calendaring, um, we have adopted some plans where if you're going to be doing some activities in the evening or on the weekend, I just want you to log it on your calendar, and then when you're going to be coming in a little late on a Monday or a Tuesday or whatever the day, um, that you log that as adjusted hours from work you did at another time. It's good accounting practice. It lets me know that they're really, frankly, being being responsible with their time and um, and and I can afford that kind of flexibility. Students schedule appointments directly with staff, so we know that um, you know as they reserve time on their calendar uh, that the students would see a different time window being open for them. So I found flexible work schedules uh, plausible, and um, you know there's some position that's a little hard to do it in. Your frontline reception work is is a little unforgiving. If somebody's not there to open the office at 8, we have a problem. But we have layered approaches to that. If somebody can't make it in, we'll work around that. I'm I'm in favor of flexibility. And again, it's kind of the golden rule thing. Life happens, and uh, you know, sometimes we just need a little bit of that support to, to create productive and um, happy experiences for everybody involved. Yeah, I think I'm going to trademark that now that you said it for the work-life office. It's like life happens, and uh, let's see how we can work together to um, get through this mm-hmm. um, productively, creatively, and overcome challenges. And relying on our uh, network of support and services here at Michigan State is a good network um, that we can build on uh, to come up with creative solutions um, to circumstances. So it's great to hear that. Uh, as we're dwindling down to the end of our time together, uh, I had an opportunity sitting here to think of a creative approach to maybe end this podcast. And it's something I didn't have planned coming in, but here we have Mike and Mike. We've got Gardner and Hudson. And in front of microphones. Yeah. Yes. In, oh, that's in front of microphones. And both are uh, recipients of the Outstanding Supervisor Award. Uh, but Mike Hudson has not been on the interviewer side of the table yet today, and Mike Gardner has not been on the uh, uh, the interviewee side of the table. So I'm wondering, Mike Hudson, do you have any pressing questions uh, that you would like to ask Mike Gardner, uh, ranging from outstanding supervision best practices to um, what he had for breakfast. So, Mike Hudson, take it away. You're now the interviewer. Well, this is a total uh, flip of, of role here, so I'm going to limber up a bit and think about Mike uh, Gardner's uh, experience. I came to. You didn't m- tell me this was going to happen, John. I'll tell you. I came, but to- I'm ready. <laughs> I came to know Mike through a service on a committee, and then I saw him in other community endeavors after that. But, uh, you know, Mike, uh, you always maintained a very uh, energized perspective. I know your staff always appreciated you for for uh, I, for a lot of reasons. I, I just, working in a disability program, 
we would uh, we would uh, be responsible for helping accommodate individuals with disabilities. And I'd, I'd see stories all over the place. And Mike Gardner was one of those supervisors that people uh, just enjoyed working with. So I'm curious what what was your uh, what was your secret? You've got a you had a volatile uh, situation with food needing to be out at this moment. Uh, you can't burn the potatoes, and you you can't serve breakfast <laughs> we try not late. To. So uh, you had a lot of pressures. Uh, what was your secret uh, for for keeping such a positive work environment under the pressures of time and, and must do things just right? Well, I felt that you know uh, the the staff looked to me as as a leader. Uh, I would hope and 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 the head of the the, the uh, dining services. And if uh, I was having a bad day, I wasn't going to make everybody else have a bad day. And my I always felt uh, I needed to keep a very positive atmosphere. And and so I was uh, you know made a lot of jokes and had a lot of fun. And I says you know this is the kind of place I would want to come to work every day was to have something with a positive uh, boss or a positive feeling when I came into work. And so I tried to create that environment so that the people that worked with me enjoyed coming to work. That didn't always happen because you because of the demands of the job. Mm-hmm. But it was when everybody left at the end of the day, I made sure I thanked them for their job, thanked them for what they did for the day. Uh, and I would tell them, hey, it was a rough day today, but I really appreciate the effort you put into and, and being sincere about it. Um, and they, they all knew me as kind of a goofball, but they all put up with me anyway. Uh, so, uh, And I tried to have a lot of fun at work because I didn't want to have not fun at work. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make it uh, something that I would want to come back to tomorrow. And um, I did for 42 and a half years. So um, I don't know what the rest of them always did, but I did uh, for the most part. Always, always enjoy my work and come back and create that atmosphere um, for them to come back to work again another day. I always said the employee will always come in the first day. It's the second day I worry about whether they'll come back. And uh, for the most part, they always did. So, Yeah, so thank you for your service. I, I guess I'll ask one more question, oh, no. and then you can have your, you can say your <laughs> thanks and shake hands and we can be done. But I want to know who had the better uh, Outstanding Supervisor Award Recognition Party who had the better cake between the two of you? Because I heard a good story from Kirk Domer about uh, he's in the theater. You know, the, he's the chair oh, of theater sure. about a great party that they had that was on stage and everything. Mm-hmm. And he came out to a curtain call. So, which one of you had the better award party? Well, tell me about yours, Mike. Well, I was in. Uh, we have a every day. We have a menu meeting. Okay, we review with the whole staff. You know what's going on. Had a staff meeting, so everybody was there. And uh, my back was to the door. Big first big mistake. And uh, all of a sudden, everybody's kind of looking behind me. And this is like in November because uh, it was a late. I was a late arrival on getting uh, getting it scheduled. Um, and of course, you know the decisions are always made in in the summer. So the staff did a very good job of keeping it very quiet. I had no clue. I turn around. There's my wife, my son, all my old co-workers were all behind me coming in, and they're carrying a cake and all this. What is going on? The banner comes out. It was a shock. I mean, I was just totally, totally surprised. Um, and uh, always like cake, so there was no problem with the cake. Always, they always do a good job with the cake, so I'm, I'm very happy with that. But I, uh, I, really, I really enjoyed it, and it was uh, very um, heartwarming because I was winding down my career. I had about a month left. Uh, before uh, I was done. 
So I kind of got in on the shirt tail of my career on this, but it was nice to be acknowledged, you know, for that. It's nothing that I ever look forward for, nothing that I want. I want to have one of those, but um, to get it that way from your employees is very uh, heartwarming. Yeah. Um, my experience was uh, similar in that it was a surprise. I had no idea any of this was happening. I had a uh, boss, uh, my boss called me in for a, an impromptu meeting, probably I called impromptu about a day or two in advance, which wasn't typically a style. And he had a student matter he had to discuss. And uh, uh, I sat in his office and it was an abnormally non-directive meeting. You know, this person was pretty efficient. We get in and do our thing and move along. And he was kind of floundering and acting a little odd. And he said, uh, we got to go down to the conference room. One of your alumni uh, just came in. And uh, so I was strange, too. I'm not expecting alumni. Why would they come over here? I started to walk down to the uh, room and I heard suddenly the Spartan uh, song playing, the fight song. I said, Tom Izzo here or something? It just didn't make any sense. I couldn't figure this out. And then surprise, you know, it erupted from the room and and uh, all my coworkers were there and um, and some family friends, uh, which was a surprise, my wife and two kids. So it's like, uh, I think I almost fell down. It was such a shock. And uh, and I, I didn't know what was happening, and uh, it was quite a surprise. I don't remember the cake, though. I'm not as much of a cake fan <laughs> as some others, but I do remember the, the fun of the room, and, and, and it was just energetic, and I, I, it, was, it, was, it was a very special event because I didn't expect it at all. I mean, I just, I'm just doing my work, and I really want MSU to be the greatest place, and I want our staff to, to know the joy of a, of a, of a job well done. Well, Mike Hudson, I really appreciate you coming down this morning, and that is our goal, to make Michigan State a really great place, or keep it a really great place, because uh, I was born here in Lansing, I've been a Spartan my whole life, you've been around for, I think you said 28 years, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah, and Mike Gardner, I think it was 43 or 44 for you? Well, it's 42 and a half. 42 and a half? <laughs> yep. And so when people stay around for that long, it says something about how great this place is. So Mike Hudson, Mike Gardner, I appreciate your contributions, both of you, for making Michigan State the wonderful place that it is and being outstanding supervisors. Thank you for coming to uh, do this podcast. And maybe, who knows, someday down the road, uh, we'll do another podcast episode or one of your staff members might be the next outstanding supervisor. So. Thanks for coming in this morning, Mike Hudson. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.